Right, here we go. Intro coming up. I put snow on the logo as well. <laughs> Listen to that. I'm Jim Irvin. Welcome along to another edition of the podcast dedicated to forgotten albums and the people who love them, which for one episode only I'm calling You're Not on the Christmas List. Yes, tis the season when we take stock, look back, look forward, look left, look right, look left again and step into a multi-lane carriageway of irritable traffic, ambivalent about getting to tables, groaning with rich food, troublesome relatives and overpriced largely pointless gifts followed by a few badly enacted rounds of charades and a crushing sense of ennui large enough to swallow the coming year. But one thing that can evoke cheer at Christmas is the music and to prove it I've invited back two of this year's most available guests who also happen to know a thing or two about deep-seated Christmas crackers. And they're going to help me compile the perfect alternative playlist for revellers who fancy going beyond the same old, same old this year. They are esteemed writer on music, movies and books, Andrew Mayle, and celebrated reader, writer and one half of the Backlisted Books podcast, Andy Miller. Wassail, wassail. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Andy Mayle and Jim Irvin. <laughs> oh, God, God little bless Jim, Little Jimmy yeah. Irvin. <laughs> Are you in the mood? Are you feeling festive? Very much so. I've got my festive jumper on. I've silenced the dog with a juicy bone. He's actually outside. So um, all set. About an hour ago, I was thinking, why are we doing this? Yeah. And then I started listening to I started listening to the rough version of the playlist that we've that we've we've whittled down to 106 tunes, and it, they really put me in the mood. I'm really thrilled that we're going to talk about some of those records. Once you once you start down that path, you really can't stop. I kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas, you know, once you're, once you're saying to yourself, I'm seeking out the lesser known Christmas tracks, it's, it's a joy. I love it. Maybe we should get it down to about 100 tunes. Should yeah, we some good idea, yeah. Okay, that would make right. sense. Well, yes, as is traditional for me at Christmas time, I have a cold, so apologies to listeners for any spluttering and distress you might hear in the background. And you, are we telling them when we recorded this or not? Um, Christmas Eve. Christmas <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so for this episode, I've asked you each to provide a forgotten Christmas album. However, uh, I'm not providing one this time, but instead we'll be looking at this playlist of our favourite underused Christmas tracks to make the tree trimming slightly less traditional, should one so desire. And uh, listeners can search for You're Not On The Christmas List on Spotify. Find it right now. There should be a hundred songs on there to confuse your cockles before you warm them. Uh, before the main course, shall we uh, pull some crackers? Um, oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> this is good. Uh, who, who wants the first one? Andrew? Um, oh, go on then. Go yeah, on then. Okay. here you go. Tug this. Oh. What have you got? Right. Hang on a second. Um, this is uh, <laughs> oh, this is a literary joke. What do you call Santa's little helpers? I don't know. I don't know. Subordinate clauses. What's <laughs> <laughs> this? <laughs> Is this the TLS or something? Exactly. That's what it, that's what that's what the joke should be. It should be like, what does the editor of TLS called Santa's Little Helpers? Very overrated. 
Are these oh, foil, foils Christmas crackers from 1958? I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure this is playing out as I anticipated. Yeah. Okay. Have you got a crown on now? Yeah, got my paper okay. hat on. Yeah. What was your gift, by the way? Did you get a fortune-telling fish? It was um, fortune-telling fortune fish, yeah. <laughs> Andy, your turn. Yep. Let's do one. Okay, here we go. Hey. Uh, oh, I've just put my I'm putting my yeah. paper hat on. Right there we go. Uh, okay, which here's the joke. Which Walker brother most loves Christmas? I don't know which Walker brother most loves Christmas. No idea. It's Noel Scott Angel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Can we go back to the subordinate clauses joke? <laughs> <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> yeah. Only on this podcast would it be. And it's not even acceptable on this podcast. Uh, it's very poor everywhere. Yeah. Very poor. The children are crying. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a thruppany bit. There you go. Oh, have you? Mm. <laughs> but, but also, I got a present. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the cold weather. Uh, <laughs> my my turn. Hang on, I need a hat. So here we go. Yep. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, find out. Oh, I've got a bag of marbles. Oh, oh. nice. Yeah, oh, that's nice. Five tiny marbles, and the joke. Hang on, put my hat on. Five tiny <laughs> marbles. <laughs> Very specific. Ah, oh, my favourite. What did one snowman say to the other snowman? Uh, can you smell carrots? <laughs> I Where did you, Jim? Be... Jim? Yeah. Where did you buy these crackers from? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm sending them <laughs> straight Gra back. Gra Grace Brothers. Grace Brothers. <laughs> so disappointed that there was no magic calculator or one of those metal puzzles that you can never work, or, or those things where you get ball bearings in the eyes of a clown. A small plastic soldier that you yeah. prop up next to the yeah. your plate while you're eating. A notebook. Yeah. That was the most disappointing. Oh, a yeah. Note, an address book or something. Uh. So generally, what would be the Christmas music that was around when you were growing up? What was playing in your house when you were celebrating? We really... I was thinking about this and we didn't really have any... Really, and, and so we certainly um, kind of early on, there weren't any Christmas albums that we put on. I think later it would have been post CDs that we had like carol CDs of carols, and yeah. which is really odd. And I've been thinking about because my brother was a big record collector, and you know, kind of started buying records in the early sixties. You know, Simon Garfunkel, Bob Dylan, all that kind of stuff. But there was no Christmas music in the house. Christmas music was watching the Christmas episode of Top of the Pops or hearing stuff mm. on the radio. Maybe we had Elvis's Blue Christmas, but it was never played mm. because it was considered, you know, low quality. So, no, it wasn't until we kind of bought CDs of carols and then CDs of festive-sounding classical music that there was any real Christmas music in the, in the house. It was really odd that I have a very strong connection to and love of Christmas music. Did the males become snobby at Christmas then, or something? What? 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 Um, that's it's a re that's a really good question. I mean, no, because we <laughs> we had massive Christmases. Yeah. 
lots of presents and really got into it and kind of really enjoyed it, especially when it was like the complete family. So it wasn't like we kind of looked down on the events. It was almost like we that wasn't um, a factor of what we considered Christmas in the 1970s. Mm. Well, I agree with Andrew. I, we didn't really listen to Christmas music above the, around the house when I was growing up. But then in the 90s, I started collecting Christmas records. As you were talking, Andrew, I was wondering whether that was to do with the kind of change that the 90s and the CD age ushered in, that by the 90s there are enough good to great Christmas records that there can begin to almost be a corpus of records that 60 of which would go on and now that's what I call Christmas compilation. Because those things didn't exist when we were kids, did they? Those things didn't really exist. No, but around about the same time, I think it's also got something to do with the um, the easy listening revival in the early 90s mm. as well. Mm. You know, I mean, like, Jim's got um, that Ultra Lounge compilation, Christmas Cocktails. Yeah. Oh, is that mid-90s? Mid-90s, yeah. Yeah. There was that one and there was a sequel and there were others. You're quite right, there were yeah. others in that vein. And yeah. I think that embracing of kind of easy listening music, which includes stuff from the 1950s, sort of stuff that people might have previously considered kitsch, suddenly gets introduced in, into the market. And I think people started looking at Christmas music in a different way as a catalogue to explore. Was pre previous to that, I, hadn't, I didn't think that was on the card. Old Mr. Kringle is soon gonna jingle the bells that'll tingle all your troubles away. Everybody's waiting for the man with the bag cause Christmas is coming again. It was also, I wonder whether, what became clear as well in that period, it's a bit like John Savage says, why are we still discovering music made in the 1960s? The answer, because there was so much made during the music industry's boom era that it's taken 50 to 60 years to shake most of it down yeah and i think that's really true with christmas records as well mm. there's there's such a staple and this is one of the reasons i'm so fascinated by them they're they're the music industry at its most industrial yeah and certainly in the 50s 60s and 70s produced on a scale so vast <laughs> it takes until the 90s for people to be able to sift through it and begin to begin to get a handle on what it all represents so i think christmas records fitted in with that idea of of mood music for lifestyles which was very big in the 50s so if you had you know music to read by mm. or music to you know music to romance by yeah, yeah. you know the themed record was big. Concept albums were big in the 50s and
I think also that the Christmas song is very similar to you know, a lot of the classics from the Great American Songbook in the sense that they are light on the surface, they're playful on the surface, yet there's a melancholy underneath. You know, you're drawn along by what is a very you know, major key piece of music, but the minor keys are in the lyrics. There's something hidden mm. in a lot of them, which is one of the reasons I really like them, that kind of, you know, I think a lot of people who maybe say they don't like Christmas records will say, oh, I can't stand that, you know, incessant jolliness. It's like, <laughs> no, you, you've really missed the point. Yeah, yeah. Or I think you've missed the point. But I think that the best Christmas songs have a melancholy to them. Everyone's got associations with Christmas that they bring to everyone that they listen to, haven't they? And they're <laughs> so, complex. Yeah. There's a song on this playlist by, there's at least one song on this playlist by Harry Nielsen. Yes. Yeah. When my son was little, we were listening to aerial ballet, maybe in the kitchen. Mm. And my son said, oh, is the thing about this man that the tunes are happy, but the words are sad? There you go. <laughs> there you go. I think Andrew's quite right. I think that's, that's, uh, that's true a lot of the time with Christmas. But as you say, Jim, also you, you bring your own mixed feelings about yeah. mm. um, that p- time of the year and how you spent previous... By, our, yes. by the stage in our lives, you know, decades worth of Christmas is stacking yeah. up yeah. for us to feel bad about. Snow Fills the fields we used to know And the little park where we Would go Sleeps far It's an an emotionally complex time, and I think the best songs capture that. It's very doubtful that you'd listen to, everyone listens to, you know, Merry Christmas Everybody by Slade, and just immediately thinks, you know, this is a a straight-ahead memory of happiness. I am happy now. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, Slade. (laughs) Well, we'll come on to those uh, those particular chestnuts later on because some of them need to be roasted on an open fire. And <laughs> <laughs> Could you both have records now that you play every Christmas day? Yeah. Yeah. I will still get out the Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, and, and still yeah. play that every morning. That's become our Christmas record as well for some reason. Twenty-five years, we always play the Beach Boys Christmas album while we unwrap our presents, as a way of distracting us from the Beach Boys Christmas album. (laughs) (laughs) Which, let's be honest, isn't great on side one and really nosedives on side two. But um, (laughs) but that ties in with 
exactly what we were saying earlier about the idea of the industrial production of the thing. If can we knock this out in two sessions, we definitely will, and we'll definitely put it out regardless yeah. of how good, bad, or indifferent it is, or how close to our our sound it is. Just a little bobsled we call it old Saint Nick, but she'll walk into a bargain with a four-speed stick. She's candy apple red with a ski for a wheel, and when Santa hits the gas, man, just watch her feel. It's the little Saint Nick, little Saint Nick. It's the little Saint Nick, little Saint Nick. A run, run, reindeer. A run, run, reindeer. The CD is slightly better because it's assembled from bits from another reported Beach Boys Christmas album, isn't it? So you've got the original Christmas album, then I think the later one that they tried to do failed. But that, there's something of a gear switch from their appalling orchestrated version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town into Santa's Got Some Quaaludes or whatever the... Yeah. <laughs> the um, the 70s one is called. Yeah, but, uh, my dealer is coming to town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't mentioned the elephant in the room, uh, Phil Spector's Christmas gift to you. Uh, did, did that not feature in either of your Christmas soundtracks at all? Oh, my God. Well, you've, you've just reminded me that we did put that. There was a point where we must have played that at Christmas, and it would have been the that cheap sort of 80s reissue of it with you know when you had the Phil Spector greatest hits with the blue cover and the shade that's right oh yeah 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 and the, Chris, yeah. the Christmas album with the red cover and the shade so we did play that you've you've just awoken a buried memory yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the couch so we did play that yeah okay well we had that from about 1972 my dad bought the version on Apple that's got Phil Spector dressed yeah. up as Santa on the, on yeah, the cover yeah that yeah. was my dad's kind of Christmas catnip. He'd put that on, and he was instantly in the mood. And he'd be, you know, he'd be doing it yeah. for hanging up decorations, and and we'd have that on Christmas morning. To the point where, after a few years, my mum would sort of roll her eyes and, oh God, not this again. <laughs> Actually, sounds like a snowdrift. That record, doesn't it? It's like Andrew was saying. Uh, presumably, there'll be a despectorized version coming out soon. <laughs> oh, they'll just, well, they'll just take like they'll take Silent Night off, won't they? Quite wisely as well. Oh, what the yes, him speaking at the end. Yeah, yeah. him speaking. Yeah, which yeah. has always been unnerving, even before we knew anything about him. We knew, you know. It, you didn't want that. You wanted to take the record off before it got to Silent Night. <laughs> it was a creepy way to go out, wasn't it? Yeah. Later on, we also had Frank Sinatra's Christmas album. 
a jolly Christmas from Frank. Um, that's the that's the capital. That's one, the capital one. Yeah. So it's one, the yeah. Gordon Jenkins arrangements. Yeah, yeah. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. But then, the, of course, the other Christmas music was the albums you got for Christmas. My abiding Christmas memory of, of was Christmas 68, and I got the White Album from my grand oh. for Christmas. Oh. So that was fantastic. Does That's, that sound Christmassy to you now? It sort of does. Yeah. You, you know how there are certain records that when you play them, you are transported back to the moment you first heard them. You can't help it. It's like you take a photograph. Yeah, that happens with the White Album. Particularly as I also, I can remember it was on the end of my bed with Miss Stocking. There was a, you know, twelve-inch thing, and I went, "Oh, it's the Beatles record." I had it to play with in the morning before I could listen to it. And and next to that was a box of Good News chocolates, and of course, one of the songs is Savoy Truffle. And I went, "Yeah, it's a song about my box of chocolates." Whoa! Wow, Um, And uh, I can just that particular Christmas just uh, is is ingrained in my memory as the sort of happiest one of my childhood for just getting to know the White Album during the the Christmas holidays. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I associate... um, I I was thinking about this earlier. I made a little note, uh, and I think the record that really reminds me of Christmas whenever I hear it is Dare by The Human League. Released 40 years ago this, uh, this season. Yeah. I mean, obviously, because of Don't You Want Me, which was the Christmas number one, wasn't it, in 1981? But more because I remember, I can remember getting it on Christmas morning and it looking incredibly stylish and glossed. And I can remember what it smelt like. Yes. (laughs) Because it was clearly a deluxe production. And then the first track is The Things That Dreams Are Made Of, which seems very Christmassy, both in Mm. sound and in subject matter as well. Is that the album that's got Get Carter on it? It is very yeah. Christmassy. Yeah. Very yeah. Christmassy, Get Carter. Yeah. Film and uh, <laughs> music. <Yes>. <laughs> the first record I got for Christmas, I can remember, and this is this is a terrible confession, because it was a 12-inch shaped thing, I um, peeled back the wrapping before Christmas Day, and I saw <laughs> what it was. So, so my associations with it, shame and guilt shame and guilt yeah and also when you when you hear what the record is you'll understand why it's a tonic for the troops by the boontown rats that That was that that was the first record i got and so i yeah i associate it with christmas but also i i associate it with a kind of a slight Disappointment and anticipation—they you know, kind of, call that. Don't yeah, anticipation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also the re, you know the realization that not every track was rat trap. Yeah, you needed to go for a Bruce Springsteen album for that, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. 
So, um, yeah, very much, very strong memories, very strong associations, but kind of tinged with um, a little bit of Christmas melancholy as well. Can I also say Christmas wouldn't be Christmas in, in, in our house without a board game? Did did you do board games in your in your household? We certainly did, yeah. Um, and a new one, not a, not a particularly high concept one, but yes, there'd be a new one most years. Most years. Well, the year of um, the White Album, I can distinctly remember. I also got Buccaneer. Have you ever played that? Wow. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Oh, what I a game! It was good, Buccaneer. It's really good because <laughs> there's no dice involved. You kind of ah, that's right. You, you, you move according to cards. It's got in little your head. rubies and yeah, diamonds. Yeah, it's got little in it, jewels it? that you put in a in a boat and little uh, barrels of in rum. A boat. Yeah, you got a little ship and wow. you move around the seas. That's wonderful. <laughs> it's great. Um, you know that that is Christmas, really, isn't it? It's a it's a it's a board game. It's a thick double issues of the radio and TV times. Oh, the radio oh, times. Yeah, yes. very much so. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and t- taking the travel section out of the middle straight away, and then and then and then and then damaging the staples so that it's certain, <laughs> then so the cover comes off. And oh, vivid memories. Yeah, and then nuts and fruit wherever you look. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when you were kids, what was your best or favourite Christmas tree ornament? All, everyone's got one. Where you would, it was the one that it's the bit that you most look forward to seeing come out of the box. Cliche that it is. It was the angel on top of the tree because it was so. It was the oldest decoration that we had as well. It must have been like from the forties or fifties. This kind of really delicate little angel and her dress had frayed away so it'd be kind of repeatedly sort of remade with bits of raffia paper and everything neck curtain yeah yeah a little bit of neck curtain Mm. but that was absolutely fascinating because even in the 1970s it looked so ancient and we had a little talking about not having music in the house we had a little church with snow around and trees and with a music box inside that played silent night and I absolutely loved that, you know, and I would just kind of wind that up all the time and listen to it. Until Phil Spector started speaking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, with a tiny little Phil Spector in the church. How horrible. <laughs> what a grotesque image. We should all yeah. sit silently and listen to that play now. Yeah. With a kind of howling wind in the background. <laughs> exactly. It's sort of M.R. Jamesian setting. Yeah. We had a gonk that had been made by my cousin Linda in the early 1960s and my cousin Linda was a bit of a dolly bird so the gonk seemed to contain not just the Christmas spirit but the spirit of the swinging 60s that I had just missed by by being born too late just too late to enjoy them there was a movie wasn't there called gonks go beat and what a movie yeah the, city, the Citizen Kane of beat movies, that one. It was, it was, um, it's, got, it's the only kids' movie starring Graham Bond, thank goodness, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you, Jim? Did you, or did, you, did you have a tree with decoration? Oh, yeah, yeah. Real tree or plastic tree? Real tree, usually massive, usually sort of floor to ceiling. My dad had this sort of legend about his dad who would go out the last possible moment on Christmas Eve just as all the markets were about to shut down and the shops were closing and with whatever little money they had because he didn't have very much come back with everything they needed for Christmas Day. So he'd have a tree over his shoulder and a bag yeah. full of decorations and a, yeah, yeah. You know, a cheap chicken 
uh, whatever they were doing. My dad really remembered that feeling of, oh, it started, it's, it's transformed the moment. And he had that spirit when he, he decorated the tree and he would just get the biggest tree he could and just throw everything he, he could at it. It was about abundance, you know, and we'd have um, fun-sized Mars bars and whatever hanging off the tree. But he was a technical illustrator he had access to all these graphic devices and things like Electroset and Electrocolor and gel, plastic gel sheets that you use for creating different coloured lights. And so he'd make these two-dimensional decorations where he'd overlay sheets of this stuff to create lots of different colours and different hues sort of shimmering in front of the lights. And he'd hang them in front of the lights on the Christmas tree. And they were very evocative and very kind of personal to, to, to his style. And they had that kind of 60s sort of jazzy vibe about them, you know. And they got increasingly uh, wrinkled and, and torn over the years. But um, about half a dozen of them have survived. And um, I found them the other day, actually. And, uh, you know, I think I might put a few of them up this year. I can feel the melancholy creeping in. <laughs> exactly. I was about to say exactly the same thing. It's all incredibly moving, isn't it? And I kind of, yeah. and why, even while I was talking about, um, you know, try, sitting here trying to recall certain memories, the fact that I couldn't recall certain memories or like, and, or had forgotten about Phil Spector or something suddenly made me quite sad. I thought, oh no, you've, it's gone. You've not remembered, you've not remembered Christmas properly. Yeah. yeah. Jim, Jim, for Christ's sake, break the glass on wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's listen to some of the uh, the records that you've brought along with you to um, get us in the mood. I'm not sure this first selection is going to do that, but we'll have a go. You're going to have to explain yourself in a minute, Andy. All right. Andy Miller has chosen for your further delectation a record from 2007, Recorded by the one and only Wild Billy Childish and the musicians of the British Empire, the MBEs, and it's called Christmas 1979. Christmas 1979 
Live from Santa's sack, that's uh, Wild <laughs> Billy Childish and the musicians of the British Empire. Christmas 1979. So, Andy, what the actual fuck? Okay. <laughs> Christmas 1979 by Wild Billy Childish and the musicians of the British Empire. Are you eating a mince pie, Andy? <laughs> yeah. The thing is, that record obviously exists yeah. in relation to, not separate from, in relation to all the stuff we've just been talking about already on this podcast. It is having a conversation with every other Christmas record ever made. Mm. I probably wouldn't have chosen this had I not collected, listened to, thought about an awful lot of Christmas records. But there's something essential about this one which seems to me to sum up a lot of Christmas records. First of all, I do really like it. I just like it. When, when, you, were, when you were playing bits there, I was bopping around here. At our Christmas table, as you could see, uh, I just I think it really makes me laugh, and it also uh, it sounds great, and um, it sounds like every other Billy Childish record, and that's part of its appeal. The second reason is you don't really need any other Billy Childish records if you've got this one, and there's hundreds of the fuckers, but you only <laughs> need that one, right? So you can winnow down your your Billy Childish collection to one LP, Christmas 1979. The first track you played there is called Poundland Christmas. First of all, it's a really good lyric. Second of all, it's got a bit where where he goes, it's a thing I love on records, where he goes, it's a Poundland Christmas. It certainly is, he says at one point, which always really makes me laugh. And also, before the solo, he goes, guitar, 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 which yes. says I really like that that thing in records like when half that half man half biscuit record where before the solo Nigel Blackwell says let's pedestrianize the precinct uh, <laughs> <laughs> or or um what's the big star christmas record jesus christ yeah mm. there's the before the solo alex says and we're going to get born for you now <laughs> right so you like an interjection so i love an interjection a yeah. christmas interjection you played a clip from uh, a quick one, bra- open brackets, Pete Townsend's Christmas. Ooh. 
now I love a quick one and I love the who and I love the fact that Billy Childish has recorded about eight different versions of a quick one and he's <laughs> he? little bits and yeah well, that's the, that's what I mean it kind of you have to know what's 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 going on right. and now he's gone well we're doing a Christmas record lads what would she do well let's just do a quick one again and we'll change the lyrics to Christmas <laughs> but it's the best version of the Billy Childish versions of a quick one and finally why I love this as an album I chose something that works as an album as this record goes on as you would have heard you can hear Billy Childish singing various dyspeptic things about Christmas mm. Poundland Christmas Nicknack Paddywhack Chuck It In The Bin Christmas Hell and then the last track is called Christmas 1979 it's like an origin story or it's like the end of a novel it's really bleak mm. and it's about I'm going to give the ending away but it's about Billy Childish's dad coming home drunk and uh, collapsing and pulling down the Christmas tree as he went and say slurring Merry fucking Christmas to you all um, and then dying. <laughs> it's like, it's really, really grim, but it kind of it unlocks the whole record and the whole of Billy Childish's career and the whole of Christmas. So that's why I chose Christmas 1979. Right. It's about the true meaning of Christmas. Yes. Billy Childish's dead dad. The true meaning of Christmas. His dead dad. Like, you know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Anyway, that's I love it. I love it. <laughs> Sonically, it's about as Christmassy as Sunburn, though, isn't it? It's not the sort of record you'd put on to get you in the mood for Christmas. It's not full of sleigh bells and all those triggers for getting you feeling uh, warm and cosy. And it would work at any other time of year, wouldn't it? Uh, I would only play it at Christmas. It's full of joy. It's full of joy. It is nothing if not responding to other Christmas records and the mood of other people's Christmases. Mm. I think this is, like, in a way, the subtext behind the fact that we've chosen 100 songs and a lot of those are quite sad and a lot of those are melancholy and introspective and interior is that there are so many Christmas songs to accommodate all the emotions of Christmas. And I can't think of another period in the year which is so emotionally complex and rich. Pancake Day. <laughs> yeah. Andy, I have to say I was slightly surprised when we were preparing this episode that you said, oh, I'm, I'm a connoisseur of Christmas music, and then the one you chose to bring in was this one. I did um and ah about it quite a lot, but then I thought, no, I've got to, I can't, I've, I've got to find something that is unique. Mm. I can't find something that sounds like a load of other Christmas no. records. High Spirits of Christmas, they're represented. Melancholy, a kind of wintry melancholy, that's represented. But actually raging pissed up and down the high street trying to buy something from Poundland for your nan. <laughs> that, which is most people's Christmas. That's what that Billy Childish record is. That's, that's you know, that's uh, Medway Towns, Woolworths, 5pm. Yep. It's not snowing. It's raining. It's raining, you know, yeah. It's, it is, and you've got a tin on the go. He, he is his own Christmas. Yes. He is his own, uh, he is his own winter wonderland. <laughs> His own he tree his own... full of decorations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even... I'm not even a huge Billy Childish fan. I mean, oh. I'm really pleased he's there and I love what he does. But this is kind of goes back to the point I was making when we started talking. I think Christmas allows musicians to relax and it also allows us as listeners to relax. That we, we, we don't need to consider 
uh, actually whether this represents good taste or where it fits into an artist's oeuvre or how it stacks up against other authentic you know examples of music it's just here's the time where you where you can just like what you like and play what you play i think that's a, that's a really good point i think people who would argue those people who would argue for you know authentic music and 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 rail against stuff that was pop pap to quite use their quotes would probably not like christmas songs yeah you know what i record that i absolutely loved when it came out that i can't listen to anymore for the for exactly the reason andrew's talking about is lowe's christmas album well it's, it is a wonderful record musically uh it seemed really unusual and sincere and and the, the cover versions were really interesting and it has their mormon austerity and spirituality but then it just became the, the the record of choice for people who would say, well, I don't really like Christmas records, but i tell you what is a great Christmas record, that low Christmas album. <laughs> and so it's sort of got... Do you want to hear ruined. something ra- radical that my my late wife once said? She said, because she, she said something similar about the low Christmas album. And she said, she said, you know what? This is where the, all those Woolworths advert songs started from. Whoa, <laughs> the hush, yes. The hu- you know... And I just thought, wow, that's brilliant. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And no one would dare yeah. admit that. Well, there you go. <laughs> so we've got low to blame for John Lewis, have we? Is that, is that, is that what you're saying? Right. Exactly. That was her That was her theory, and I'm totally behind <laughs> More it. More sacred cows being destroyed as we go along, everyone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so uh, I sort of, uh, you know. Jim, do I get the – let's cut to it, Jim. You didn't. You don't like that Billy Childish record, do you? Well, I won't be feeding my pudding to it this year. Let's put it that way. You know, <laughs> the Christmas record is, to me, is you put it on as a catalyst for that warm, cosy feeling that you want. That here we go, here we go. That's the, <laughs> and this is almost doing everything it can to undermine that, isn't it? As a in spirit, I totally, I I see there's a place for it. But I don't know if the place for it is Christmas Eve or 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 the or Christmas morning when you're unwrapping your presents. No, no, we play we play it for Christmas lunch. That album, do you? <laughs> of course we do. We all gather round, fall into the Christmas tree. As I said to you in an email, nothing says Christmas like knickknack paddywhack, chuck it in the bin. <laughs> but does that also? Do you? Uh, where do you stand on uh, Billy Childish and his? records and the hundreds of them i've you, managed you to avoid of, every single one of yeah, them. yeah you see i think yeah yeah I'm, well, I'm, I, like I, you I'm, I'm pleased that he's there yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm thrilled that he does what he does and i've enjoyed some of his paintings and 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 some of his poems along the way i feel if you were to get into it that way madness lies doesn't it suddenly you're trying to collect thousands of headcoats albums yeah. or something and <laughs> well i'm i'm offering listeners a way out by simply buying this one and no more it just so happens that i have a special christmas guest with me today billy would you like to come in oh. <laughs> 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 yeah. he's here um right yeah he's been i think we can say after that one can't we uh, <laughs> <laughs> certainly has and i'd give it a few minutes if i were you yeah. <laughs> excellent all right andrew let's bash on to to your selection which is up the other end of the scale i think we can say um this is um this is kind of very much what we were talking about earlier. This is an album from, I think, 1956 by a uh, female jazz singer called June Christie. And it's called This Time of Year. 
and it's described on the front as a delightful program of Christmas season originals. So this is, this is quite something. They're all original numbers, arranged and conducted by Pete Ruggolo, and words and music by Connie Pierce and Arnold Miller. Now, Jim, I looked, and I can't find any reference to Connie Pierce and Arnold Miller in any context apart from this album. I happen to know a tiny bit about them. They were a husband and wife team, and they'd previously written a song for her called Nighttime Is My Mother. Oh, my God, they wrote that? Yeah, you see. Wow. Somewhere along the line, she she commissioned them to write this whole suite of, of Christmas songs. And I, I just looked it up because when we were listening to it, I thought, God, who yeah. wrote this stuff? Because it's, it's, it does come from quite a dark place, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's hear a bit of it before we talk about it some more. Here's a sample of June Christie from this time of year. When the lights come on, I see snow red as the holly and snow green as a pine tree. Everyone I meet wears a smile just for I see snow pink as a sunrise and snow blue in the shadows. Friendly greetings come into style just for a little while. This bag of tricks and hand them out with a fleeting greeting. Smiles for the frowners, salutes to the uppers, boosts for the downers. May the day be the bowl of cherryest. And to all the merriest, hope you swing during the season. Hope the days go great. Hope you find plenty of reason the whole year long to. Celebrate sun for the mopers, a laugh for the criers, luck to the hopers, to the strange and the ordinariest. Meet to you, the merriest. For Christmas, I would like to give a friend. To every lonely heart A peaceful country stream To the folks afraid to dream That would be a start For Christmas I would like to share the hope that comes when life is rough. That special kick you get, turning tears to smiles, and yet 
June Christie, the album's called This Time of Year. Now, you said 1956, Annie. I had it down as 1961. Uh, oh, you're right. You're right. I've just Is checked. It? Okay, right. Sorry. And the, yeah. the, the, no, right. the songs you heard there were Seven Shades of Snow. What a title. Uh, yeah. the, <laughs> the Merriest and Christmas Heart. And while that was playing, I looked up the liner notes, the 2005 reissue of This Time of Year, and Todd Everett says that uh, Connie Pierce and Arnold Miller made up half of the Double Daters, a San Francisco vocal group, who sang locally with touring big bands during World War II. And then after the war, they moved to L.A., where Arnold worked in advertising, and they continued to write and publish songs. Then in the late 50s, where they were introduced to June Christie, born Shirley Luster, and her husband, tenor saxophonist Bob Cooper, and recorded Nighttime Was My Mother on her LP, The Song Is June. Michael, the couple's son, is quoted as saying, writing this time of year was their passion. They wanted to capture all the emotions of Christmas, from the joy to the sorrow. There are some emotional moments, but also a lot of upbeat jazz. It's an album that I actually only really discovered recently. I was doing a, um, a How to Buy on Christmas records for Mojo, and with a certain arrogance embarked upon it and thinking, <laughs> well, I, I know what the, I know what these records are going to be. This is, this is yeah. easy. And then I opened it up to um, the Twitter sphere and got probably one of the best responses to um, a poll ever. And um, I, I wish I could remember who it was that suggested, um, I'll, I'll flag it up when the, when the podcast goes live, who it was yeah. suggested to me, um, who suggested the June Christie album, because it kind of, it presses all my buttons. It's kind of, I love that style of late 50s, early 60s female, female vocal, where there's a kind of seductive sadness to it. The, the range of emotions that this album goes through, the Millers are kind of doing exactly what we've been talking about. They are seeing it as the site of emotional complexity that they can write a theme song around. And the other thing as well, that it, it's very similar. One of my favourite scenes in 50s musicals is the scene in uh, Brigadoon, where um, the characters go back to New York for, I think it is for Christmas, and they just see what this city is really like, how bitter and miserable and kind of fleeting it all is. And I think in many ways, this is an album about kind of a New York Christmas. Mm. And one, I think one of my favourite tracks is, is Hang Them on the Tree. <laughs> on the one hand, quite joyous, but on the other hand, so cynical, because it's basically saying, just look at all the crap around in this city. Let's just for one day wrap it all up in bright colours, put it on the Christmas tree and pretend, you know, that it's not there. And I, I just think, mm. wow, that is so brilliant. There's a sadness there. And I think because she had issues with drinking and alcoholism, it certainly shortened her career and shortened her life. And her most famous song, I think, is quite um, something cool, is quite autobiographical. And, it, and it's the female one for the, you know, one more for the road, the Sinatra. It's, I think it's as great a song as that. A woman who you, you guess has kind of seen younger and better days stopping into a bar on a hot day and asking for a cool drink. But what she's really asking for is, is an alcoholic drink, but she's too ashamed to ask for that. And um, such a life story behind that song and such sadness. And I think she, you know, her voice has that quality. It sounds seductive and at ease at, at the same time as si sounding utterly desolate as well. She's sounding slightly frayed around the edges on this record, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much so, yeah. And I think that, 
that starts to to creep in much more. She made one final record in the 70s, I think. She kind of made a comeback record, and her voices are absolutely shot on that, which is a real shame. It's like Sinatra's reprise albums, you know, mm, that kind of... Yeah. That frayed around the edges quality adds something to the emotion. I, I'd heard tracks from this on those uh, Ultra Lounge CDs that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, the merriest is on right. there, isn't it? Yeah. And I hadn't really, I mean, I thought they, you know, they seem much of a muchness. What's so interesting about this as an album, uh, you think I'm saying this to get a rise out of you, I'm not. But like Billy Childish, <laughs> she. <laughs> They're setting their own rules. They're making their own little wonderland yeah, within the space absolutely. of the record. And hearing, you know, some quite jolly stuff in the context of those Ultra Lounge albums didn't prepare me at all for listening to the record as a record. Mm. Yeah. And the idea that the the Millers, no relation, had attempted to do exactly that, had try, tried to craft something that would almost seal itself off in some ways, be its own little uh, snow globe only made sense to me when I actually heard the record. I was thinking, well, what was the, this, what, this, this be, what's going to be sort of upper end, um, easy or... But it's so much more interesting and sophisticated than that. Well, and, and in its way, um, Hang Them on the Tree is Nick Mac, Paddywhack, throw it in the bin. It is. is. It is, but the other way... It is. But but the other way round. It's kind of the flip... Yeah, this says take all the crap and and wrap it up in a pretty bow for one day. Yeah. And Billy's saying... Hang it on your tree. Then tear it all down, (laughs) throw it in the bin. Then get your dad to come (laughs) home and knock knock it over. Knock it over, yeah. (laughs) That's your message for Christmas, kids. Uh, yeah, it's an extraordinary uh, record, I thought. And I, at first, when I kind of first dipped into it, I thought, God, these songs are a bit chewy. Uh, they, they, they seemed much denser than was required for a Christmas mm. record. And then, obviously, once I looked up who'd written it, and I began to see what the what the purpose was and what and what their story was. It, that song that they they wrote for her, "Nighttime Was My Mother," is an extraordinary song. And it's kind of autobiographical for for um, Connie Pierce apparently, and the lyric to that is: "Nighttime was my mother, cool and dark and lonely. Music was my brother, big and strong and lonely." I mean, you're coming from yeah, you're starting yeah. from that as a songwriter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the great thing is that the liner notes on the original really don't know what to make of the record either. Um, can I, Duke, have we got time if I can read them out? Yeah, they're a, li- they're, a li- they're a little confused. The picture on the front is of June Christie throwing the snowball, and the picture on the back is of June Christie getting hit with the snowball. <laughs> the real meaning of Christmas is as obvious as the snowball, which has just hit June. Perhaps that's why it eludes a lot of people. What? Many songs. <laughs> what? <laughs> right, let's read this again. The real meaning of Christmas is is, is as obvious as the snowball, which is Hang just on. hit June. I'm, I'm 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 spying a long lunch. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> After which he went. Oh, I've got. It was, this was this was written on Christmas Day, wasn't it? Yeah. In and he sat down and what have I got to go on? I've got this picture. Oh, right, yeah. Yes, carry on. Perhaps that's why it eludes a lot of people, many songwriters included. Two definitely not included <laughs> are composer Arnold Miller and his lyricist wife, Connie Pierce. <laughs> For this album of their original songs captures the peacefulness, hope, joy, love, the universality, exclamation mark, of that time of year. With a mature vision and talent and a beautifully childlike simplicity, they've made Christmas a song only June Christie could sing. 
but she does with a surprising naivety and expected sophistication, which makes this time of year a listening experience for everyone, wide-eyed child to blasé adult. <laughs> Crikey. But it's a, it's a tough sell, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a tough sell. I mean, they're not exactly yeah. going to say, uh, strap yourself in for Christmas at the Millers. <laughs> yeah. Or... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's excellent stuff. It's June Christie this time of year. Well, I said we'd come back to this. Familiarity breeds contempt. What are the Christmas songs that we need never hear again? Mm. Well, I've got, I mean, I have got a high tolerance for them. Shall I start? Go on, Go Jim, on. yeah. Fairy Tale of New York. Oh, that makes me mm. sad. I Go mean, on. On. it's an undoubtedly brilliant piece of songwriting. But it's so rich and detailed, it doesn't need repeating seven, eight, nine times a day. And it's just I, been ruined for me by overexposure, I think. The, pro- the problem with it is there's um, cover versions of it, the discourse surrounding no, it. No, the discourse the... has been the nail in the coffin, yeah. though, hasn't it? If you, if you are yeah. fed up of it, it's the discourse which has really done it. Well, I was hoping that the presence of the word faggot was enough to get this cancelled at last, but it seems to have you know, withstood the flurry of controversy that kicked up a few years ago. I think people have agreed that it's still worthy of our oh, I don't time. Know. It, keeps, it keeps flaring up every Christmas, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I think I, if I heard it, you know, if I was in the back of a cab coming home from a Christmas lunch and it was on the radio, it would still have an effect on me. If it was like, And I think yeah. it's that thing about kind of where you are when you hear it and if you're on you know if you're on your own and you're away from the discourse as it were you know i think it it does still have a power i think the one i would go for would be um i wish it could be christmas every day wizard yeah yeah because there's something nightmarish about the concept that is embodied in (laughs) in in the the relentlessness of the, and rhythm, the relentless yeah. rhythm yeah. of of the song itself it's the yeah. kind of thing that would be it's the only song i can imagine being on a loop you know where you just can't escape it and you would you would end up screaming that song is like phil specter's kicked your door in isn't it and he's standing yeah. there going it's a christmas again and, and is beating <laughs> beating you senseless while singing i wish it could be christmas every With day andy Kane. yeah because there's um <laughs> yeah. uh, i put on this list i'm just trying to find it now there's um a flaming lip song a change at christmas say it isn't so Oh, yeah. And there's a lyric in that where basically Wayne Coyne sings, if I could stop time, it would be a frozen moment just around Christmas. And, I, and he talks about where, you know, everything is just right. You know, there's a sense of peace and love and calm. It's a much better way of saying, I wish it could be Christmas every day. And I hear, I wish it could be Christmas every day. And I think, Roy, you're so basic. But it's a kid's it's thing, just, though, isn't it? That, that to me, it's, a, it's a, a kid's wish. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're, if we're talking about records that have pulled, though, or, you know, kind of the, yeah. the, 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 your repeated exposure to them has changed how you read the lyric. And I think that's the only way you can look at this stuff. You can't say, oh, it's a shoot song. It's like my repeated exposure to it has changed how I hear it and how I, I see I, it. I must, I must mount a rearguard action for both your choices, though, because <laughs> I can remember how much I loved Fairy Tale of New York in what eighty seven did that come out? Yeah, 
and and how it held its power for a long time. I'm not really disagreeing yeah. with you, Jim, but even though I agree with you, if I didn't ever hear it again, it would be fine because that would allow me to hang on with to how I felt about it back then. I think um, if you if you develop an allergy to something or if there's something like suddenly you can't bear the taste of mushrooms anymore and someone keeps feeding you mushrooms, then you're just going to have this reaction to it, aren't you? Yeah it's, it, yeah. it's like that. At some point, that my my need to hear this song topped out and I just, there's no more going in. I don't, do you know um, Dinner for One? Do you know about that? The Go Freddie Frinton oh, yes. sketch that's yeah, shown yeah, every Germany. New Year's Eve in Northern Europe. Well, I find listening to Fairy Tale of New York every 40 minutes on the radio is like watching that sketch over and over but again. But you don't feel that about uh, uh, Wonderful Christmas Time? No, because it's a much more shallow piece of work. It's almost designed to be heard a million times, isn't it? Whereas I don't think Fairy Tale yeah. of New York was. It's a it's a radio play. It's like hearing the same short story over and over mm, again. That's a good point. Yeah, I can see that. Andrew, I, I love. Um, I wish it could be Christmas every day. You're right about the lyric. I I that, I agree with you about that. That is that's a brilliant point. But it's such a Roy Wood banger from an era where he's about to stop making bangers. He didn't need to make any more. No, but you know what I mean. He's sort of like, he's had five amazing years. Yeah. Five or six amazing years, and they're about to stop. So I find it slightly, I'm always pleased to hear. It's not like you hear the move on the radio anymore. It's the only time yeah. you ever hear Roy Wood is, is at Christmas. So. Yeah. But I think, you know, in terms of what you were saying about Billy Childish, that you can only make sense of the Billy Childish album in the context of all the other records that have preceded it. Mm. I think you could, in a way you can only make sense of my choice to eliminate Roy Wood, maybe in the context of all the other stuff in this list. You've gone beyond Roy Wood. So to go back to Roy Wood just feels a bit kind of like, it is unrelenting and unforgiving in its kind of, you know, in its attempt to persuade you that Christmas should be every day. The songs that need to disappear will disappear. You know, the, the ones that... They, it will just be a natural fading of those songs that they, you know, the ones that kind mm -hmm. of have a lasting power to them that still sound interesting to modern ears will hang around. And, uh, you know, and the Jonah Louis of this world will, um, will, will disappear. Can I put one in the bin? Yeah. P let's put I Believe in Father Christmas by Greg Lake in the bin. I never want to hear it again. It's mm. miserable, miserable... I believe in Father Christmas is how the, he should be saying that title. <laughs> and you don't. Yeah, and you, right. And also the lyrics are so bad. They sold me a dream of Christmas. They sold me a silent night. And they told me a fairy story till I believed in the Israelite. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful on every yeah. level. It's, but it has, ugh. but musically and the way it kind of uses the Lieutenant KJ suite from Prokofiev. Is quite but, but it's ruined yeah. Lieutenant KJ. You've ruined Lieutenant KJ, you fool. I <laughs> know. <laughs> um, I just I found it. I quite liked it when I was twelve. But yeah. it's what Jim's saying. I've heard it so many times, mm. and the only record anyone knows by Greg Lake really now is one in which he says, I'm too good for this stuff, but I'm going to put it out anyway. Yeah, <laughs> Piss off. He thinks he's, thinks he's, he thinks he's better yeah, than all yeah, this, doesn't yeah. he? So, yeah. What he should have been is, I believe in all the royalties I'm going to get if this works. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, let, let's get back now to things that we actually like and uh, stuff that you've brought along to hang on our alternative tree. Andy, you chose something that I'm ashamed to say I'd not heard before, which was absolutely fantastic, uh, by Twice As Much. Uh, it's called The Coldest Night of the Year. I mean, it isn't really a Christmas record. Uh, it's a record about winter. I mean, and it's it's by Twice As Much, who were a vocal duo, and Vashti, Vashti Bunyan, um, when she was when they were both signed to Immediate. Lyrically, it's like a consensual baby, it's cold outside. Yeah. Um, it, it, although it's a threesome, so it's slightly more bizarre. <laughs> there was a version recorded by... Nino Tempo and April Stevens in, I think, 64 or 65, which I think was heard by Andrew Lou Goldham, who recognised it as a potential Christmas hit for a couple of his acts. And as you'll be aware, it has the full, immediate Andrew Lou Goldham orchestra sound. Brian Wilson's orchestrations and Phil Spector's orchestrations playing in the same place at the same time. It's that really rare example of a, a, a record where the balance between the enormous orchestration and the intimacy of the vocal is exactly right. It makes the record greater than the sum of its parts, I think. Uh, it's a lovely song, but it's an absolutely superb uh, production. Yeah, I just, I, I, I find it really, it gives me goosebumps every time I hear it, still. Baby, baby, it's late and you'd better go It's after three Honey, please have a heart Just look at that snow but I got a real kind of sense of Britishness about it. Although he's obviously gone for the Phil Spector thing, it's a sort of British version of it, which instead of a wall of sound is more like kind of factory gates of sound or something. I'm I'm seeing the front end of Yellow Submarine. Do you remember the Yellow Rigby sequence in that? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's something about it reminded me of that, sort of factories and, and wet, rainy streets. It's a British take on the spectre sound. Absolutely. I loved it. Really good. I can't imagine Vashti enjoyed recording it. I mean, she didn't. She seems not to have enjoyed doing much recording uh, yeah. when she was on Immediate. And she doesn't sound very comfortable. Her distance from the two boys who are playing nice in the vocal is, is all part of the, the chill of it. That's exactly... I think that's why all of um, the early Vashti stuff works. At the same time as her singing the lyrics, there's an awareness in her delivery that she's almost 
not designed for this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there was an element of bewilderment about her yeah. performances, isn't there? Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely that. And I think you can, you can hear that. And it means that her songs have aged really well because they've got a kind of sang-froid, you know, a kind of cool distance yeah. to, the, to the formula that you hear. You hear formula, but you hear a kind of certain awareness or reservation with that formula. I love a soul song at Christmas. Uh, for some reason, they amuse me, particularly soul Christmas records, because there's a mixture of earnestness and frivolity about them <laughs> that's quite particular. They love to use uh, Christmas records as an opportunity to uh, hit you with something religious or political that they're concerned about. You know, at this time of year, we must remember. And a uh, particular favourite is uh, Santa Claus Goes Straight to the Ghetto by James Brown, which is great. It's it's um, it's not too heavy-handed, but it gets its point across and, uh, and is a great James Brown song at the same time. Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto 
Hitch up your reindeer uh, And go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Fill every stocking you find The kids are gonna love you so uh, Leave a toy for Johnny Leave a doll for Mary Leave something pretty for Donnie And don't forget about Gary Santa Claus uh, Go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus Go straight You know, Jim, soul music is at its industrial peak in the, from the mid-60s to the mid-70s. And yeah. therefore, of course, everybody made a Christmas record in the soul style. Yeah. There's the Atco album from 68, Soul Christmas, which I think we've ended mm. up putting several tracks from into this list. Yeah. Which is just, again, must have been knocked out in a couple of sessions in, you know, August or something. Yes. But there's a version of um, White Christmas by Otis Redding. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. Stunning. Speaking of songs you've heard so many times, I love White Christmas. We've all heard it a lot. But he manages to feel his way into the melody and the lyric because he's such a genius interpreter. It's my favourite version of White Christmas. Also, uh, I, I was very tickled when I discovered this album a few years ago, uh, Season of Peace, Michael McDonald's Christmas album. Oh, I never, I played that because um, you put it on the list. I was thinking, oh, come off it. What's this going to be like? <laughs> I was, yeah. thought it was brilliant, that Michael McDonald track. It's great, isn't it? I loved it, Jim. Fantastic choice. I mean, it's not all as good as that, that album, I have to say. That is a standout moment on the, on the record. But um, it was one of those things I didn't know I needed until I, I heard it. You know, Michael McDonald's in Christmas but I think you've raised a really important <laughs> point, and maybe it's one that we've kind of already said, but it's worth coming back to. You can't be a purist and like Christmas songs. You can't have, you know, you yeah, can't be, yeah, you yeah. know, or search right. out the authentic in music I do. And, you know... You miss out so yeah. much. And I think once you embrace the Christmas song, you you move across genre. You know, you move across lines of quote-unquote taste. And you... But it's const, a constant ongoing sort of process of, of, of discovery. Big star Solomon Burke, you know. that. Oh, I'd never heard... Well, Andy, what's the story behind the Fab Four? There's two LPs that this... Uh, um, 
LA band, the Fab Four, who, as their name suggests, are a Beatles covers act, made. Um, and what they've done is they've covered uh, Christmas standards in the style of different specific Beatles songs, which sounds like it isn't going to be very good. <laughs> but actually, I reckon they've got a pretty good hit rate and the best tracks are absolutely incredible. And the one I chose here is Jingle Bells done in the style of Tomorrow Never Knows. So good. And it is good, isn't it? It starts with, really yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. But then as it goes on, you think, oh no, this is so great. This goes into another thing that I think Christmas music does really well. Like I say, you can relax a bit in your affection for things mm. because saying how great Christmas is is within the lyric, a, a lowering of your guard, isn't it? It's it's being sentimental and it's being emotional about seeing your family and yes. having one too many drinks. Artistically, that's what a lot of these records are. It's having one too many drinks and then mm. pressing record. I think that's part of the joy of those Fab Four records is... We all like the Beatles and we're all very boring about the extent to which we like the Beatles. But maybe Christmas just allows you to be a bit more playful and a bit more relaxed and a bit more ingenious with how you express it. Talking of ingenuity, I had to put on a, a version and it's the best version of Santa Baby because I think it's just one of the great pop lyrics using Christmas as a metaphor. I still think it holds up, strangely, because it's it's of a type, isn't it? It's a, It's describing... Uh, a, a trope of its of its era, the the yeah. guys and dolls yeah. doll element uh, singing a song uh, to her sugar daddy, and uh, written by a woman, June Javits, um, uh, and 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 a guy called Phil Springer, who I didn't know uh, this until I, I looked him up. He's still alive. He was born wow. in 1926. the same age as the Queen, wow. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, is still supposedly writing 35 songs a year. And uh, he wrote Santa Baby, but he also wrote The Next Time, the Cliff Richard song. Do you know that song? Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Sweet William, which was Millie's follow-up to My Boy Lollipop. Wow. Uh, and Peekaboo by Rose Murphy. So he's written some 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 nice tunes. How much... Well, I wonder what he mints a year from Santa from Baby. Santa Baby, yeah. Yeah, it probably does... Pretty pretty well on it because it's it's like uh, feeling good, isn't it? It's one of those songs that's come back in the modern age as yeah. a standard, um, uh, even more popular than it was in its in its day. Um, I'd imagine he does all right. Um, you chose the Eartha Kitt version, didn't you? Just yeah, to, just to be yeah. clear, which was the, the the original. That was the, the, yeah. the first one, and still the best, and still the best, I think. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree. For me Been an awful good girl Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Santa baby A 54 convertible to light blue I'll wait up for you dear 
Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Um, one of the things that we haven't talked about, um, and I think it's just interesting that, that it's so strongly represented in the list, is folk music. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Christmas and winter. Yeah, you chose something by the, you chose the Watersons, didn't you? And, and I chose um, the Young Tradition as well with um, Shirley Collins. Yeah. And I put Cold Haley Windy Night by Steely Span in. Yeah, and um, did you also from... choose a Fairport track. You did. Well. did now, now, be now be thankful. Yeah, which is the the lovely keening Christmassy voice of Dave Swarbrick. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a Christmas single, wasn't it? I think I'm right in yeah. saying it was a Christmas single, or it's like a, a New Year's single. Uh, Cold Haley Wind, Wind, Windy Night is from Pleased to See the King, which, as Robin Hitchcock said, is the Steel Eye Span album that sounds like the Velvet Underground. <laughs> it's got the electric guitars and the <laughs> droning viola. But you're right, the folk thing is very interesting, but presumably that's, that's winter, isn't it? That tends to be yeah. winter rather than the birth of Christ. So it's about feasting. And... It's the pagan version of Christmas. Yeah, it's the pagan feast. It's important, isn't it, I think, that we do... I certainly do. I like to listen to songs about sort of, you know, frosty nights and snow and winter at Christmas. You know, it, it, even, it feels absolutely right. We've got In the Bleak Midwinter here by Bert Jench. Yeah, and also I chose Wait, Wait Until... The... Wait Until the Snow by Ralph McTell, which is an absolutely gorgeous song. That really I'd never heard that before. Yeah. It's terrific. Now be thankful for good things below. something about Swarbrick's voice that just makes you want to put mufflers on and stand around a brazier full of chestnuts. Do you know what I mean? It, this... Yeah, he, sound, he, he comes pre-wassailed, doesn't he? He comes... <laughs> he uh... Yeah, three wassails to the wind. <laughs> yeah. He's been at the bunch and now he's stood at your door with a lantern on a stick and with his hand out for Maundy money. <laughs> Andrew, you chose uh, Sandy Denny's No End. Uh, oh, this, yeah. Which I, I love the song and it's published original published version of course came with um harry robinson's strings which some people think are a bit um uh sugary but you've chosen the solo piano version what, what is it about that song for you probably the most simple video on youtube and i think one of the most moving is that somebody it's probably about 10 years ago now somebody stuck their iphone camera up to a train window when they were traveling home for christmas yeah and it's just basically the train going past the snowy landscape for seven minutes while and he stuck um, that version of uh, No End on. And I think it's one of the most simple yet moving and, and, and profound things you'll ever see. And it kind of, yeah. I always have to watch it at Christmas. It's an interesting lyric, isn't it? Because it, it seems to be about her going, she's going to visit a friend who's an artist who's reluctant to to finish anything or to 
put out. But it also seems to be about her as well. Yeah. yeah. The way in which kind of you're, you're about halfway through your perspective shifts, doesn't it? Or you're, un, you're unsure where... Not sure who she's talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the genius of it. That point in Sandy's life where the edges are blurring and days are drifting into other days. And, and, and I think she captures that in, on that demo in that song. There's a real sense of like, where am I here? You know, how did I end up at this part of the song? I think it's it's incredibly powerful for that reason. But it's got something in common with David Berman. That what you were saying about the David Berman song. Yeah. You know, that sense when you listen to it of Sandy being within the song, actually. Yeah. That the song has Absolutely. no end. Stan, Sandy's yeah. statement has no end. And and Christmas in that respect, you know. That and the fact that it hasn't got those arrangements means it kind of lacks a certain structure that the the album version has. So it's very hard to locate where you are in the song. I think. Yeah. And and the the lyric itself has no conclusion, does it? So it, it it does it does it it ends up in the air as a as a story, doesn't it? And for some reason the fact that it that this kind of guy just attached a video of just, you know, a landscape just rolling by for 7 minutes is perfect. But but I like the idea as well that that's sort of what Christmas when you're old like us. You look back at all those Christmases, they are like a kind of train looking at it out of a train window as it goes past. They're all happening at the same time and it doesn't have any end. And you you think about your family and you think about, you know... Yeah, there's no narrative arc. There's just panning past the time, isn't there? There's... It's true. It's really true. So sprinkled among the uh, alternative things on this playlist are some crackers that we just couldn't live without, aren't there? So... Which are the ones that we've allowed through? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some of those. These are records that have been hammered to death and still we keep coming back to them. And I think that the top one of that for mine is the, the Vince Guaraldi album. Yeah. Kind of, certainly in the last 10 years, just repeatedly played at Christmas. And I, and I never get tired of it. And I also would say that I... I I'm not always entirely sure where every track is, so I'm still surprised mm. by it. I don't know why that is, but there's still a, there's I am not I'm still not over familiar with yeah. it, even though I play it every Christmas. And did you like the Peanuts music when you were a kid? I guess I didn't. No. Yeah, there you go. No, I didn't. Exactly. Yeah. I found it annoying. <laughs> yeah. I, and and, and, and I the weird it. thing is, as a as a kid, I think I found it. You know what I would probably now call sort of saccharine. And a bit sickly. Mm. Now, now I don't. Obviously, I like the you know the beauty of Vince Guaraldi's playing, but also I like that sort of wistfulness to it, which I maybe didn't pick up on at the time. Not naughty, but nice. Uh, a, a good mood setter. I also, Jim, I was really pleased when you sent us this originally that you had. First of all, the very first thing you chosen was "Christmas Time Is Here" from a Charlie Brown Christmas. And then rapidly, you'd also yeah. included Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow from Ella Wishes You a Swinging Christmas because that is my favourite jazz, 50s, 60s, whichever it is, LP. The Ella record is superb because it catches her her very peak, yes. I think. Um, even though the arrangements might not be to everybody's taste, it's still really subtly and um, sensitively done in its own way. Yeah, the Fitzgerald and Sinatra are the real... Great examples, aren't they, of the jazz titans uh, making Christmas albums. Both, as you say, Andy, at the peak of their powers. The Sinatra was done in 54, um, so hard to go wrong, I think. 
Christmas and jazz go together really well, though, don't they? What else have we got? Well, we've got we've got Bill Evans on here, haven't we? I think. Oh yeah, there's a, that great Bill Evans. Uh... Santa Claus is coming to town from Trio sixty four. And we've got yeah. Bob Dura doing Blue Christmas, although it's not actually Blue Xmas. Sorry, although it's not the version with Miles Davis on it. There is a version with Miles Davis yes, on it, but that's yeah. not on that's not on Spotify. So that's why it's not. Oh. On I also put in. Um, I have to admit, I put on this uh, Dave Brubeck away in a manger with, without um, actually knowing it. Um, I listened to it, but uh, he doesn't seem to actually play away in a manger at any point in this track. <laughs> hey, that's jazz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I put on um, "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas" from Kenny Burrell's "Have Yourself a Soulful Christmas," which is an absolutely lovely. Um, instrumental jazz album that kind of yeah. you know that ranges from the kind of the quite twee and sentimental to you know some really rocking stuff as well it's we didn't have, we haven't got judy garland's version on this have we that's a shame no from uh, from um, meet me in st louis so because um, we're too we're too clever for our own good aren't we yes <laughs> Put it on there. we yeah. are exactly i've included all alone on christmas from the film home alone 2 by darlene love and the east street band which has got a horrible 80s production, and yet it sort of does the magical thing that Steve Van Zandt wanted it to do, because it's a Steve Van Zandt production, yeah. uh, which is Evoke Baby Please Come Home. So it's like a, a sequel to Baby Please Come Home from all those years later. Um, 80s or 90s is Home Alone. It's probably 90s, isn't it, Home Alone 2? But I absolutely love that record. It's really... Uh, obvious, bleeding obvious all alone on Christmas with its sleigh bells and its saxophone and its <laughs> Christmassy Christmas lyrics but I love that and the other record that I had to put in Jim because the last time I was on this podcast we, we weren't even meant to talk about them and we ended up talking about them quite a lot but I do really really yeah. love Wombling Merry Christmas by the Wombles of course that is a Who proper banger though uh, I, unlike some of these other records, they never get old. That never yeah. gets old, Wombling Merry Christmas. The thing about that was that that was in the canon. That was played alongside Wish It Could Be Christmas and everything, all through the 70s, yeah. wasn't it? And then and then for some reason it dropped off. Um, I don't know why, but presumably because the Wombles sort of faded out, didn't they? Yeah. So, um, but I would have thought that would have kept on on going. But I was quite surprised when I heard it again and went, oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, maybe the Wombles just weren't willing to come back to Christmas Top of the Pops like Sweater Slade were as well. They just yeah. like, oh, no, we've yeah. we've done that, man. We've moved on. Yeah, they've like they became more like the Clash, Andrew, the Wombles. <laughs> <laughs> they they realised they didn't want to sell out anymore, so it's why they <laughs> dropped out of sight. Um, <laughs> um, I know that a lot of the stuff we've chosen has come from the fifties and sixties. Do you think that was a more Christmassy era, a Christmassy sounding era? Why have there not been more modern records that have been sort of taken up as as Christmas classics? Do you think? I've um, I, one of the modern Christmas songs that I, I've chosen that is written, I think, as a Christmas standard, which, which I think is great, is "Christmas and You" by Los Lobos. They mm. did um, a Christmas album a couple of years ago, and it's not all great, but that track is absolutely fantastic. And does um, put it on there because I just think probably it, it just kind of disappeared, didn't really get much notice, but it's really I, wonderful. I've included Sun on Snow by Scritti Politti from the last Scritti Politti album, which I, I also, I think, Andrew, is on that, is on Tracy Thorne's album that you included. It in is, yes, from. yeah. 
which is a, another lovely recent Christmas album. Yeah. Well. Oh yeah, that's got that lovely couple, couplet on it, hasn't it? Uh, you will never need to doubt me. Yeah. There'll be something good about me soon. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful song. Jim, why did you choose River by Herbie Hancock and Corrine Bailey Ray over the original by Joni Mitchell? Uh, because I thought it was more Christmassy for some reason. There was something about there's something about Joni's version of River which isn't actually Christmassy to me, and I don't know whether that's because I don't associate that record with Christmas or, or what. Whereas I feel there's a kind of a warmth in the in the Corinne Bailey Ray and mm. uh, Herbie Hancock version, which is just a bit more. Uh, and it wasn't done as a Christmas record; it was done on the on on Herbie's Joni Mitchell album. But it just feels, I don't know, yeah, uh, that it's got more of that spirit about it. But you know, yeah, it's touch and go. I could have put Joni on, I suppose. You could, we have, could have put still Tracy Thorne on there. She does a really lovely version of it on the album that we just mentioned. Well, I wonder whether this is of a piece with you know, in ten years' time, guys, we might be sitting around saying, oh, I'll tell you what I'm sick of, River. <laughs> <laughs> because it has become, in the, has I feel like a, yeah. in the last 10, 15 years maybe, it's mm. become a Christmas standard. I think you're totally right, Jim. In, on Blue, you'd never think of it as a Christmas yeah. record, no. but it seems bit by bit to have entered the repertoire. Did you hear the version on the Joni Mitchell archive box that came out recently? There's a, a mix of, of River on there that they um, rejected, that's got mm. uh, French horns on it, and uh, for oh. some reason, it just makes it sound more Christmassy. Does yeah. Does Joni shout "It's Christmas"? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's obviously clearly that's why Greg they, they Greg Lake it. runs past playing <laughs> Lieutenant KJ on a recorder. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. But clearly, that's why she decided to leave it off because it made it too overt. I think yeah. and. Um, Okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you may have noticed I've slipped a ringer into this uh, talking of modern Christmas things. I've put in a pixie lot tune called I Got Love for Christmas uh, because I wrote it. <laughs> Corruption. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Right. Payola. It's the my only actual released attempt at writing a Christmas song, which, trust me, is incredibly hard to do. And I thought it might be interesting to talk about that. Yeah, no, oh, well, yeah, no please. Tell why us. Is it, why is it such a difficult thing to do? How, how long did it take you... How long did it take you to write it? There you go. That's a basic question. It, uh, it didn't actually take that long to write because I'd had the idea in advance, so I'd got a kind of note of it in my notebook. And so when we com- commissioned to do a Christmas song... Um, it seemed reasonably easy to sort of reach into that and, and use that as a starting point. But I'd found it uh, hard to finish before because it's really difficult to avoid all the tropes, all the Christmas things that you've heard a million times before. And mm. if you think about it, there aren't many modern versions of songs that have entered the canon. I mean, when the last big one was Mariah Carey, you know, which was 25, 30 years ago. So I think the reason... This one made sense and sort of worked at the yeah. time was because it was based on a real incident. So I was sort of sincere when we were writing it and I knew what I was thinking of in the moment, which was basically the my first girlfriend. I fell in love during the Christmas holidays, you know, and um, uh, my first <laughs> encounter with the opposite yeah. sex. Um, 
it was foggy night. Uh, we had a snog and I walked home on air. And, and in the distance, you could hear, ching, 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 ching. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just about falling in love at Christmas. And uh, and Jerry, who produced it, I think he also struggled a little bit with trying to find fresh things to do with a Chris, mm. Christmas song. You know, how mm. do you get something new out of the perceived sounds of a Christmas record? You've got yeah. to have a few of the flags in there to tell people this is yeah. where yeah. you are, but you want to do something original as well. And it just surprisingly daunting, the whole the whole thing. looking at the running order on on the uh, Spotify playlist it does appear to be the work of if you didn't know there were three of us the work of a madman as it goes from <laughs> Alan Vega to Midwinter to the Wombles to Pixie Lot <laughs> yeah so, and Jim I notice you put it in the running order after the Wombles so everyone's exactly. up aren't they they're up they're up yeah they're up. yes So yeah, John Fahey, uh, Fahey, is it Fahey, Fahey? I would, oh, I would always pronounce it. I don't know, but I've always pronounced it Fahey. But I don't know. All oh, right, yes, yeah, uh, Fahey, <laughs> Fahey, hey. Hey. it's Christmas. Well, that you know this. Do you know the story behind that record? No. But basically, um, he was in a record shop in uh, the late sixties and saw cartons of Bing Crosby's Christmas album just flying out the door. He was 20 and he was 28 and he just yeah. and he just thought this is literally he thought this is money for old rope. I need to do this. You know, if I put if I put it out as a Chris, an instrumental guitar album out as a Christmas record, it will, you know, it will, it will sell and it will keep selling. And that's exactly what he did. But yeah. obviously it's kind of also in the tradition of stuff like um, I put a Chet Atkins track on there as well because it's also in the tradition of stuff like Christmas with Chet Atkins as well. Yeah. And kind of, a, and he's very sort of unashamedly like that. You know, it's obviously sort of, you know, far he is considered as, you know, sort of esoteric and cool, but this is very much unashamedly done as a sort of record that would sell at Christmas. I'm sorry, I'm just going to think of John Fahey. Fahey! I'm going to think of Jack, was it Jack Baker? What was he? Um, Douglas. Jack, Jack Douglas, yeah. yeah. Fahey! <laughs> 
What about the Dylan Christmas album? You've put a track from that on here. Well, yeah, what I did was uh, I included... I'm just looking for it now, yeah. So... um, Must be Santa. That is a belter, Must Be Santa, whereas the rest of the Dylan Christmas album isn't. (laughs) There are no other belters (laughs) on Christmas in the Hearts. But Must Be Santa is really good fun, and it's got a really good video as well, uh, which is great. Uh, You know, clearly everybody said, that's the single. But I, before it, I put a record that, uh, that came out on Cameo Parkway in 1966, which is called White Christmas 3 O'Clock News by Bobby the Poet, which is an incredibly esoteric, sat- satirical single, which manages to send up both Bob Dylan and... Uh, uh, the Simon and Garfunkel. Yes, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. 6 O'Clock News. Right. I thought it was just uh, lovely to juxtapose that with... Fast forward uh, 30, 40 years to Must Be Santa, gargling away. I think I do think Must Be Santa is fun, don't you? I think it reminds me of um, Joseph. You know Joseph Spence, the Bahamanian guitarist. Oh he's, yeah. And his version of Santa Claus is coming to town. Dylan sounds like Joseph Spence on it, and I've always wondered, <laughs> like, is that on purpose or is that just you yeah. know Dylan's weirdness? I might actually stick that on there next to the Dylan track and people can compare and contrast because it's... The first track on the Dylan on Christmas in the Heart is Here Comes Santa Claus, isn't yeah. it? And I can remember hearing that for the first, I mean, and taking it off within about 20 <laughs> seconds and going, what is he doing? Here comes Santa Claus! Yeah. It's, it's sort of suffering from hemorrhoids or something. It's bizarre. That record is I, one of those times where, a bit like if you go and see Dylan in concert and... I always have a moment when I go and see Dylan of looking around me at the crowd thinking... Whose belief is suspended enough for this? If an an alien popped up to just come into the room having never heard of Bob Dylan, they would think, what? What is this? What is this? It's a bit like Christmas itself, isn't it? You have to to invest in it. You have to believe. (laughs) If you believe... Come on, children. If we believe strongly (laughs) enough, the Bob Dylan Christmas album will sound good. It's... No, it's like Christmas, Andrew, because it makes you melancholy and wonder whether where all the years have gone. It makes you lie yeah. to yourself. Yeah. What about um, sort of obvious bangers that we've left off here, like Christmas wrapping by the waitresses? Is yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I bought that the same. I bought the seven inch of that when it came out, hmm. um, and presumably you hipsters had the Z Christmas. Album is it on the Z Christmas album? It is on the Z Christmas album, yeah. But I yeah. didn't, I didn't have it. I had it as a single before. I had, I had the it Z as a Christmas single album. as well. Yeah. I didn't like Z. I thought it was posy. <laughs> I find that album quite hard work. I must. Say. Yeah. Uh, is, the, is it the Sophia track? That's kind of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no Christmas rap. I love Christmas rapping. Yeah, but me I, too. Maybe we all yeah. thought the other one would put it on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still not tired of Christmas rapping. And I remember the first time I heard it, I first it was on um, Kid Jensen's show. Right, yeah. Yeah, I just got home from school and Kid Jensen played it, and I just thought, something really alluring about the delivery. And I just immediately was smitten with whoever was singing this song. And because it was about, you know, a meek cute in a, in a you know, mm, Christmas mm, store, I just, mm. I just thought, this is... Gorgeous, I love this. It's also a brilliant new it's a brilliant New York record, Christmas rapping. 
You know, Absolutely. the idea of going on with the boots on out in the snow to the only all-night grocery. Yeah. That's wonderful. As, oh, no, the, de- the mean, details in it are great. Yeah. Rather like a fairy tale of New York, the picture it paints is so clear that mm. you'd think that hearing it again and again, you'd get tired of it. But for some reason, it has a different effect. It's like I see the picture and the familiarity makes me smile. Mm. Yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. I think like a cosy, like a rom-com or something. That's how I sort of view it. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like going back to a, a cosy rom-com and just getting caught up in that. Yeah, whereas yeah. Fairy Tale of New York is more Pinteresque, isn't it, or something? <laughs> it's, it's not listen, a rom-com. Listen, Jim, Jim just, give it, just give us another two hours. We can talk you back into Fairy Tale of New York. <laughs> Um, yes, Christmas wrapping is great, absolutely great. And you're right about the, the delivery and the, the, the way it's played as well. It just barrels along, doesn't it? It's got tremendous mm, yeah. kind of joie de vivre about it. It's, it's fantastic. Um, Andrew, you picked a Thea Gilmore tune. Tell me a bit about, about that. Listen, the snow is falling. Oh, it's just, again, another um, late discovery. I think it was um, my pal Rick Buren on Twitter who... Um, pointed it out to me and it's it's an album that taps into that world of the folk winter and you know the idea of the solstice and everything it's come from an album called strange communion and i chose what is my favorite cover version of uh, yoko ono's listen the snow is falling which i just think is you know utterly magical and totally kind of understands what how that song is kind of really eerie and alluring it's so it's really special Snow is falling over town. Listen, the snow is falling everywhere. Between Empire State Building and between. Andrew, you also chose Whatever Happened to Christmas by Amy Mann. Yeah. I've chosen um, two Amy Mann songs because I realised that on, um, oh, God, what's the, is it The Forgotten Arm, the concept album about the boxer? Yeah. That she's got a song called um, I Was Thinking I Could Clean Up for Christmas, (laughs) which is just amazing you know if we're talking about christmas songs from the edge of reality you know kind of well, not from the edge of reality from the heart of reality i think she i mean it's a real in a way i was kind of mildly disappointed when her christmas album came out because i genuinely think she is capable of writing a christmas album like the june christie one of original compositions and it was kind of i think it was like two originals and and and, and a bunch of covers trust me it's hard yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, but I set I set Amy high standards. So yeah, I think she's yeah. I think she's amazing. Well, what happened to Christmas is a Jimmy Webb song, and it was written for oh. it was written for Sinatra. So it's um, Sinatra. The first version is Sinatra's version on the Sinatra Family Christmas album from the sixties. Wow, you know, I didn't know this. Yeah. Uh, so I was really pleased to see a, a Jimmy Webb song get a, a, a place in our playlist. And, and I was thinking it was one of Amy's original compositions because he makes it sound like an Amy Webb <laughs> song. There you go. There you go. Wow. That's fantastic. Whatever happened to Christmas. 
absolutely incredible and you've got to play a bit from this Jim is Red Simpson's Blue Blue Christmas from his LP Trucker's Christmas Trucker's Christmas is an amazing record tell us about that (laughs) you know we're a big fan of albums where or artists like The Fall where it's all the same song Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah these are all the same song and they and Red gives um an introduction to each one so the introduction will be this this one's about a trucker who's away from Christmas, and, but he's happy. But he's happy because he's delivering toys to all the little kids. And then that song will end, and it'll begin. This one's about a trucker who's away from Christmas and he's sad <laughs> because he's missing his family. <laughs> now this uh, this one's about a trucker who's away from Christmas, and he's happy because he's got his cab all lit up with Christmas lights. And the rhythm, as you know, with trucking records is is exactly the same for each song. Yeah, yeah. But um, oh, it's it's really it's really hard to find record collecting pals. It's really hard to find on vinyl. You can get it easy enough on um, CD. This song is kind of on the sad side of Christmas. It's about a truck driver away from home on Christmas Day, and I sure know how he feels. <laughs> When Christmas Day comes Cause I'm the only one they've got Who'll make this run I hate to be away from home But I said I'd lend a hand And it'll be a blue, blue Christmas for this truck driving man I can see And you put Claudine Langer's version of Snow on here. I swapped it out for the Nielsen one so I could put in um, another Claudine Langer song, uh, I Don't Intend to Spend Christmas Without You, which I really love. And I thought I'd include, because last month we were talking about Spanky and Our Gang and... Uh, Margot Gurion wrote their song Sunday Morning and the day we were recording that episode Margot died Uh, so she also wrote this song this is a little tribute to her I don't intend to spend Christmas without you You went away You told me You weren't coming back You told me But now it's cold and Christmas is coming too Spend Christmas without you We had a fight What of it? You weren't even right What of it? I'm all alone and Christmas is coming And I don't intend 
I put Jethro Tull on here, an alternative version of Ring Out Solstice Bells, just because I've always thought there's something rather Christmassy about Ian Anderson's voice. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's, it's got that slight seasonal tang to it, and I always thought that was a, a reasonable song. Stilton. <laughs> it's a, a blue-veined voice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cut that out. <laughs> oh, you can't even say blue-veined cheese now, Andrew, without getting cancelled. <laughs> oh dear excellent and i should hope not um i also really love which i've put in the Croangbin's version of christmas time is here uh which is a dub version really good oh no i haven't listened to that yeah, yeah it's excellent and um i think right. that, that song's really becoming a a sort of a modern standard, isn't it now? And it can sort of withstand all kinds of versions. There's a great Diana Kral version of that song too. Uh, but Krangbin's dub version is mm. well worth a go. And I've put it, Andy, on before um, thing that you put up by the Christmas Spirit, which I didn't know. What's that? It's a pseudonym for uh, the Turtles oh, in okay. White Whale with a load of um, guest artists, LA guest artists, including uh, Gene Clark's on it oh. and uh, various Dillards are on it. Um, <laughs> Passing Dillards. <laughs> Pass the Dillards. Um it's a really nice record. And then it was recorded again in the 70s by the Monkeys, or three of the Monkeys. No, Nez, needless to say. Oh, talking of the Monkeys, where did you find that track by them that you've put on here? Ryu Chu. Ryu Chu. Yes, so that's... Um, that's a, uh, it came out on some rarities collection, but the Monkeys Christmas episode from their second season ends with... Um, the four of them singing a Spanish carol a cappella around a Christmas tree, which they do completely live. That's what that is. That's a studio version. It's not the version that, that they've done on the on the, on the show. Yeah, on the show. But uh, it's still it's really good. It's lovely. Mm, it's really, lovely. really beautiful. My uh, my fortune telling fish is saying sling your hook. So uh... <laughs> are we going out in the? It's cold outside, Jim. Baby, yeah. it's cold outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, no, I really can't stay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's up to your knees out there, Andrew. Come on. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for um, bringing Yuletide cheer to us all uh, with your selections. Oh no, thank you, Jim. Thoroughly thanks, enjoyed Jim, it. and thanks for making this excellent podcast all year for us and other people to enjoy. Not just the people who are on it. I believe <laughs> listeners have a great time with it as well. I hope so. No, it's great. It's a it's a really lovely idea, and it's it was really great to be asked back for a. Yeah, well. well, thank you. Absolutely. Do call again. Uh, I'm sure I'll be on the phone for, for more uh, in the coming year. To that end, there's going to be a slight pause. This is going to be the last one in season season one. And I'm going to take a couple of months off for dry January and fasting February or whatever to get together season two. But in the meantime, don't forget that everything we've been talking about is up on a Spotify playlist called You're Not On The Christmas List and will be there forever. So you can enjoy it year in, year out. You can grow tired of it over a number of decades. <laughs> yes, make it a family tradition. Well, thanks once again, guys. Thank you so much. And ho ho ho! Merry Christmas, everyone! Christmas and a happy new year to all our listeners. Happy new year! Yeah. Cheerio. Bye. Right. Thanks a lot. Cheers. 
This is Phil Spector. It is so difficult at this time to say words that would express my feelings about the album to which you have just listened. An album that has been in the planning for many, many months. First, let me thank all the people who worked so hard with me in the production of this album and in my endeavor and desire to bring something new and different to the music of Christmas and to the recording industry, which is so much a part of my life. I love a quick one. <laughs>